Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the podcast. With me today, I have Brett Giuliano. Brett Giuliano is the creator of the Dust Bunny Mafia. It is an absolutely amazing series. I cannot recommend highly enough. If you're into uh, old, like, um, uh, like old Saturday, Sunday morning cartoons, the newspaper reels like of Garfield or uh, Calvin and Hobbes, this is definitely something that I, I definitely recommend for all of the listeners, you can head on over to uh, DustBunnyMafia.com to check it out. So without further ado, here's the episode. Enjoy. All right, Brett, uh, thank you so much for joining me uh, uh, today for this episode. Uh, I love the hat, man. You, you had to put the hat on for this. Uh, first off, man, I want to say uh, the Dust Bunny uh, Chronicles. Did I say it right? The, the Dust Bunny Mafia Chronicles, what's the exact yeah. title of, of it? Uh, Dust Bunny Mafia is the main comic uh, based on a true stories, kind of the ones I was sharing with you. Uh, I loved the, you hit me probably at the absolute perfect time in my life because I am watching The Sopranos for the first time and I've like binge watched it for a month now. I'm, I'm on se- the beginning of season six and when you sent me this, I was like, oh my gosh, this is like the perfect companion comic huh. Uh, for it and i i love the the sunday kind of uh newspaper cartoon style i love the facts about it uh the art's funny the the three pages it's it's, it's the art and, and what you're sharing is great man so just how did my first question is how did something like this come about like you have this like crazy depth of knowledge of the mafia uh so like wh- where did that come from i mean i'm an input junkie uh so, I mean, when I find a subject that's interesting to me, I will go, you know, head first and just dive into researching about it. And so, you know, I grew up like a lot of us uh, watching Saturday morning cartoons, reading the funny papers, and was like, I want to make comics. And then life happened and I kept kind of drawing and stuff, but never went into that avenue at all. And then... Um, I was finishing uh, college and I was getting a real job and I was actually uh, on a commute home and I was sitting in traffic and I saw DBM on a license plate and I was trying to make up words, like make up acronyms, what DBM could stand for. And I settled on Dust Bunny Mafia and I'm like, that's perfect. And I, by the time I had gotten home, I had the six main characters of the Dust Bunny family kind of envisioned in my head with some of their personalities and different things. And I'm like, all right, this is actually at the time I was going to use it to be a marketing company. Like my, I was doing branding and graphic design, but then it, as I was playing with it, I'm like, no, this could be a comic. And I've got all the tools. I know how to do illustrator. I know how to make a website. And then I just kind of ran from there and it was like, what's stopping me? I can build a website. I can put it up online. You know, newspapers are dying. This was 10 years ago. And I'm like, there's no point in trying to, you know, get syndicated with like the newsprint. So I'll just put it online and kind of run with it. And then, I mean, yeah, I'm now eight years into it, I think, officially. And I've done coming up on 750 strips as well as that's (laughs) incredible congratulations man that's awesome 
Now, you said that it's kind of morphed, right? Like it went from the Dust Bunny himself and his family and more into like true crime. And I was reading the true crime stuff, and that was just absolutely fascinating uh, to me. And I I really love the marriage of the three panels that you have. I think it works really beautifully well. Um, And the actual like tidbits of, of fact, kind of where did that idea come from? Like, how did you... Uh, pivot make that switch so yeah originally it was it's always been in like the three panel uh you know newspaper style uh format but um i was actually um i was living in la i had a long commute where i was actually taking the train and so i had lots of time on my hands in the morning and at night and so i had you know about an hour um that i could do whatever i want so i was sometimes illustrating comics. Sometimes I was, you know, just standing there with nothing to do because I couldn't get a seat and different things. And so at one point I'm like, well, it's not always convenient for me to try and find a spot with my laptop and try and pull it out with a table on this big commuter train. And I'm like, sometimes I just need something small. I need a book or something. So I went to the library and I found a, um, Sorry, I went to Barnes and Noble and found in the bargain section this big book on uh, called Five Families, which was the the five New York crime families. And I'm like, it was ten bucks, and it was like this. Literally, it's eight hundred pages, and it chronicles like the very start in the like eighteen hundreds to about the nineteen nineties. And I'm like, I think this will do for now, and I just consumed that and I read it for several months while I was commuting and I'm like this is fascinating and I started writing down little tidbits of you know things that I thought were interesting that I could work into a future strip and then um, about five years ago I moved from LA to Chicago and in doing so we ended up in Oak Park and Oak Park is um, since I love history I started, I mean, you move to Chicago and people know about Capone and they think of mobsters and they kind of know about St. Valentine's Day Massacre and some of the other, you know, bigger things. But Oak Park was actually a big home and river forest to a lot of the mobsters of the 30s through 70s, I'd say. Um, Like Machine Gun Jack McGurn. uh, Let's see, uh, Sam Giancana was a boss. Um, of the outfit, uh, Tony Accardo. There's a bunch of, um, I mean, even the the cemetery that's one of the closest one over here is Mount Carmel. And that's like where half the mobsters of Chicago are buried. And so I thought it was really interesting. And so I was doing all this research and I'm like, you know, there has to be a way that I can, you know, as I'm doing my Dust Bunny comics, there has to be a way that I can merge some of these things in there. So as I was reading about some of the local guys, I noticed there were several characters that had animal nicknames. And so like there's Joey Doves, Frank the Horse. And so I ended up creating a little zine called Mobimals. And Oh, that's awesome. I mean, it's a little uh, 12-page booklet, but... So I ended up doing like this little illustration of what the character would look like as a mob, like as their animal counterpart. 
and then I listed off a little bit of facts, just kind of a brief like uh, Wikipedia, you know, sample. And I was like, this is perfect. And I was starting to go to conventions around Chicago. And so I had something that was like for people in the area to kind of hook into. And then as I was doing more and more research, I was like, you know, I could actually turn this into, I could take some of these stories and adapt them with my characters. And I could kind of merge the two because I had this Mobile's little booklet that I was trying to sell. And I had my dust bunnies that were two separate entities. And people are like, are they related? And I'm like, kind of. I mean, <laughs> now they, they are. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, they're both mobster animals, but like this one's history and this one's my stuff. And, you know, and so I was like, well, let me do this uh, based on a true story. And so I just, as I started to accumulate them, I was like, I've got enough to put together a small booklet. And I was like, let's go to Kickstarter. And I had been, you know, listening to Tyler James podcast at that point and was like, you know what? Let's give it a shot. So I ended up doing a quick starter. Uh, so I did a three week uh, campaign that for the first edition of based on a true story and it funded and it overfunded. And I'm like, all right, well, let's keep it going. Yeah, I was uh, just pulling up the uh, Kickstarter. I remember uh, um, when it was going, uh, when it was running, and it was really cool. Um, like the just the the style that you have, like um, art wise, is really unique, and I, I love just the uh, the the eyes that the the characters have, and like when when they're talking, and it's just there's a lot of life to it, man. So was it, where's your kind of comic influence influences from? I know you said you are you're Saturday morning cartoons and um, the Sunday morning, but is there a specific kind of style that this, you know, drives from, or is it just something that you thought would, would work with, uh, you know, the dust bunny? I'd probably have to say like Looney Tunes is probably the biggest influence. And then after that, it'd be like Garfield. Cause I mean, with all the antics that, and Garfield being drawn over the years, having, I don't know how many volumes of Garfield there are now. I knew growing up, there were like 30, you know, 10, 15 years ago. So it's probably at least double that um, since it's been drawn for, I don't know, 40 years or it seems like. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, Looney Tunes was probably the biggest thing. I had wanted to be an animator for Disney when I was real young and then, that didn't happen, but I had kept kind of liking that uh, uh, that cartoony style. So, I mean, I've got, you know, books on my shelves of Dilbert and, uh, you know, Zitz and different things like that. And I was like, yeah, that's probably my biggest influence outside of like just a classic. Uh, yeah, I, I see a lot of, I, I for sure see a lot of Garfield now, now that you mention it. Uh, a lot of Garfield, maybe... Um uh what's the other one um you said delbert one with the cat the the kid uh like uh, calvin and Hobbes. yeah calvin and Hobbes. yeah a little bit of that too uh in there for sure um so what was it like running your your first kind of kickstarter going from you you were you said you were at conventions were you self-publishing this stuff first and then you went to kickstarter kind of what um 
what was your kind of experience like with, with Kickstarter and you obviously funded, so uh, congratulations. And, and, but what was that like for you and kind of um, what was it like fulfilling that? Cause I know it's, you know, I just finished fulfillment on, on my end for my last Kickstarter. So those things could be a doozy. So I'd love to hear kind of your, your, uh, your take on it. Yeah. Um, so in uh, 2016, shortly after moving from LA to Chicago, I had come out with my first book called Beat the Family. And it was just, you know, the collection of the first kind of two years of my comic. And um, I had printed it uh, um, from Amazon. I was doing print on demand. I was taking it to, you know, local conventions, but the costs were so expensive uh, for it. I mean, it's a 120 page, like eight inch uh, full color book. And, you know, to do that, it was like 12 bucks almost to actually just for one copy of the book. So I need to sell it for 20. And if I'm doing shows where it's, you know, a $50 table or hundred dollar table, that's pretty much what I had other than some stickers and some little, uh, you know, bookmarks and like, you know, the little Mob Mobile's booklet, this, I was charging like three or four bucks and I was packaging up some little things to go with it, but you know, it's going to take me selling like 20 copies to even of the, uh, meet the family to actually break even. And I was just going to show after show and I was selling enough and it was enough that people liked it, but not enough that I was, you know, feeling comfortable going to a bigger show. Cause like I knew, you know, even four years ago, if I wanted to go to C2E2, and try and get half a table in Artist Alley, that's 200 bucks for just half a table. I'd have to sell a ton of those, you know. And I was like, and what are the odds, you know, first timer in Artist Alley who has a little booklet and, you know. So I was just like, I had been, you know, shopping around different podcasts. I stumbled upon Comics Launch and was like, this is what I need. And so I started. Uh, going through Tyler's program and was building up the email list. Luckily I was, I had already kind of curated my email list coming, going to cons. I would have a little sign up sheet and stuff. So I had a little bit of a starting uh, base, but yeah, I mean, I just uh, kind of went for it and I thought that I had a decent enough product, um, especially because I had the book done and so it was just a matter of like, this thing is done. I literally just need the fund so I can print it and ship it myself or like you get it printed and ship it myself. Um, and honestly, it wasn't too, I mean, I funded probably about two weeks in. And at that point, I didn't have any stretch goals planned. And it was my first one. I'm like, all right, I'm good. Anything else is gravy after this point. Um, but I'm a pretty detail-oriented person so like I know my costs and I'm pretty good at like so I did a ton of research beforehand and so the actual logistics of it weren't too bad for me um, I actually ended up due to a misprint uh, getting the whole run of um, booklets for free and they actually reprinted it because they didn't uh, they kind of cut things off a little bit too close they didn't over use oversized paper and so 
in order to get the exact size, they cut it. So it was a quarter of an inch uh, smaller than it was supposed to be. And that messed up some of the, I mean, the average consumer wouldn't notice. I noticed. And a lot of my other artist friends are like, you're it's that that you're, you know, concerned out. I'm like, yeah, it's not what I was looking for. And like pull out a ruler and they're like, it's a quarter of an inch. You're fine. I'm like, okay, well, it's not the product that I had envisioned. And so I was able to go back to the company. They refunded it and reprinted the run. So I ended up getting like double for nothing. Um, Nice. Yeah. So I've got, you know, true story volume one for days and I can, uh, have that as bread and butter to sell for a long time. Um, but yeah, I mean, overall, I felt pretty good about the Kickstarter. And then I was like, I think this is a new avenue. And I think that, you know, since you know they were bought and paid for, and I still had plenty of surplus, taking those to cons, selling them for $5, it was a quick, you know, you don't really have to think about it. If it draws the person in five bucks, you know, not a big deal. It's not like a $20 book that you have to kind of, you know, weigh the cons of can I spend this 20 bucks on something that I don't know if I'm going to like just by flipping through. Yeah, I was, I'll just tell you, like when I was reading through it, um, I was so, so just captivated by the, um, by the facts in there and how you captured it perfectly uh, with the art. What was it like kind of mirroring those two worlds together Right, so you have these these actual true facts, and then you have these three panels, which uh, you have these like the like the three panel thing down. So, like, what was it like marrying those those uh, those two worlds? And then, what's it like just working with three panels? Right, like I'm a comics creator myself, and like trying to come up with a complete story in three panels just makes my my hands start sweating. <laughs> so, like, how is that? Like, how do you do what you do, man? Because I'm like actually fascinated by it. Well, thank you. Uh, I mean, my biggest thing is actually recently it's been trying to break out of the three panels. Uh, so a couple of years ago, I had the opportunity to do a couple of comic anthology projects and where I was given, you know, short stories anywhere between two and five pages. And I, it took me so long to actually break out of the mold and mindset since I had been doing three panel, six panel gags for so long that actually being like, I have room to actually set the whole scene up and it doesn't have to be just this and working on my pacing and different things. Cause I had gotten so used to that. Um, so yeah, I think that just is kind of second nature for me now. Um, but with the based on a true story, I would come up and, you know, I mean, if we were in, the other room, I could show you my bookshelf full of uh, mobster books. Um, I've probably got, you know, 30 or 40 right now, just in the true crime and it's ever expanding. Um, but yeah, I mean, I would just find something that was really notable. And I was like, this could be, this is perfect. This I can work into a gag and I know what I want to do with it. And um, yeah, I think it's just a matter of, um, kind of figuring out the timing is probably my um, cause you, I mean, a lot of my readers, I feel like have been with me 
And so, um, and a lot of my biggest supporters like on Kickstarters and such are people that have been with the comics before I was doing the true story stuff. And so they understand like, um, but the nice thing is that with the, um, with the facts going with it, you can understand it without, you know, having the whole knowledge base of, you know, the dust bunnies are aligned with the crows, but then they're against the rats. And there's this other family that's in the bottom of the ocean that no one knows about that got kicked out. You don't need to know all that. You can know that, you know, um, these guys are walking into a freezer in an attempt to uh, like using the steel of a walk-in freezer to try and break up eavesdropping. Like, you know, that that was that was mind-boggling and the one i enjoyed the most just uh because the way it was drawn in uh like the actual fact was the guy who uh realized the cops were trailing him and then went and, and made the cops drive him home <laughs> like the fact it's like the one panel it's like him he's in the car and he's looking in his rearview mirror and the next panel he's like in the cop car and the cops are looking at him like he's the jerk which he is but like when when I saw that panel, it was one of those. Uh, it was one of those. And then I, I I read the panel. I'm like, okay, that's that's clever. But then when I read the fact, like it yep. tied it tied it so beautifully. Like I was like, I was like, man, like I, I just wanted to tell you like how awesome that was as a reader. Just how perfect I felt. Like you know, they're all very very good. I like the freezer one. Um, uh, the one of where they just yell at the guy who, when they don't have reservations, like that's a great one too. Uh, but for, for whatever reason, that one definitely resonated with me. Um, have any of your readers like come back to you and said like, this was the one that got me or anything like that? Like how do you, your readers respond? Cause it's such a unique kind of, um, it's un- such a unique comic, man. Like it's, it was like just such a, just a fun and inf- like, it's like both fun and informative like it was like this really cool marriage of the two things man that you don't see too often yeah um yeah i mean that's one of the things i really wanted to do with it because uh growing up you know history it was dates and it was boring like when i was in school and it wasn't until you know there were certain instances and it usually wasn't in history class uh that i found something historical that was fascinating and I would just latch on to, but, but then as I started to get older and I actually was researching things for myself, I became fascinated with certain things and like the mob and just the kind of, uh, audacity that some of these guys had. And it was just like, you know, um, there's a great quote by, uh, Lucky Luciano who said, if I could go back and do it over, I would have, I would have been a CEO because I would have had a license to steal. And it's just like, these people are smart. I don't agree. And I don't like, you know, I don't want to glorify the lifestyle of what these people did, but they are some of the most like intelligent and just kind of like off the wall in a, I would never think to do some of these things for how they made money and how they, you know, connected dots and certain things. Um, But yeah, so I was like, I want to kind of marriage the history and comics and kind of, you know, 
have people think about it. So it's like, yes, it's a funny cartoon, but then you're actually learning something with it. So it's not just a, you know, fun for fun's sake. You're actually investing in learning stuff. And I've gotten quite a few people recently, now that I've been doing these more often, that have come back and um, I've actually had several people that were fans from before that are like, I actually prefer your true story stuff now to your, just to your other stuff, because these actually are grounded in something else, not just the world that you built. And um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was, it, it was a, a lot of fun. So what, uh, what are you, you said that you're doing volume two coming up Kickstarter in a couple months now. Um, sure. What, uh, what are, can you share any of the stories that are in there? Cause I, I, you know, I'm fascinated with this, with this stuff that, that you have, like, can you share any stories that you're, that are going to be in there? Can we get some exclusives on the podcast? <laughs> yeah. Um, so I had just done, uh, I think I sent you volume one and volume two, maybe. Um, I'm not sure. Maybe uh, I cl- whatever, whatever link was there. I clicked the link. Did you see this one? I have not. So maybe oh. I didn't. Okay. Then, yeah, I've got a lot to fill you in on then. Sure. So, uh, so you went through based on true story volume one. Um, and that's a 24 page. Uh, that's the one I, that's the one I, I read. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I didn't know there. So, I, I, I'm sorry. I must, was there two links there? I think, but I think with Google, it didn't show a preview for both. I think it only showed one. Uh, so, uh, that's probably, that's probably what it was. No worries. Um, so yeah. In, that is definitely, uh, that is definitely on my, my, as soon as this is over, read list. <laughs> so um, in September, yeah. September, October last year, I did a Kickstarter for based on true story volume two. Um, this one I kind of upped and made it a uh, 32 page. And then we had a stretch goal to make it 40 pages and we hit that. Um, and I introduce a whole lot of um, some interesting characters. Like I do uh, stuff with uh, Bugsy Siegel and um, who was a uh, mobster from New York that ended up moving to Hollywood and kind of became um, one of the premier uh, investors in Vegas in the forties and actually kind of helped. He was this um, mobster that kind of glamorized the, uh, the whole underworld kind of per se. And so he actually wanted to like wine and dine with all the Hollywood celebrities. So like the Rat Pack and different things. And um, he ended up um, getting killed after um, inventing or kind of re-launching uh, the Flamingo Hotel, um, which still exists uh, in Vegas, but it's none of the original uh, hotel is left. Um, but he, um, I think I go through it in the second volume. Um, I, there's a couple stories with Bugsy in the second volume. Um, but there's one story where he kept trying to get more and more money from Chicago and from New York to build this hotel, but he had no clue what he was doing. He kind of took over a hotel that had already existed, renamed it after his girlfriend, 
who is known as the Flamingo, who is a mob courier. Um, and she was this uh, take life by the reins uh, personality um, that was very vulgar and was just like, if people don't like me, that's their problem. Um, but they had this kind of fiery relationship and um, he was like trying to build this casino up to be like this monolith like present to her using money that was mob money from uh, you know back east and it ended up ballooning the costs and it ended up um, in today's uh, well back then I think it ended up being like five million dollars in 1940s money um so you know you a lot of money today still yeah yeah and so basically like he transformed this casino only for the grand opening to be a major flop and uh like it was raining they couldn't get flights in from la so like all a bunch of the movie stars and stuff that were supposed to come out couldn't make it and like half the casino wasn't uh the hotel half wasn't finished and they were doing this grand opening he was uh, skimming money out of the you know off the top and people were literally stealing things off the construction site uh so his mismanagement of funds ended up uh getting him killed um but yeah that ends up being discussed in the book um and yeah so that came out so, so uh, I don't mean to cut you off, but so do you tell that entire story or do you tell like a little chunk of it? And how do you fit that in three panels, man? I'm like so fascinated on how you do this, like from a craft standpoint, like, like how do you figure out what to do? Like where to, like what to do? So that one, so I don't tell the whole story. I do tell, um, I do tell a little bit like about um, like in the volume, I end up showing um, that I basically tell the end. So I have in this one, um, like this first panel is basically him trying to sit down with a boss and saying, you know, uh, that opening was a disaster. You know, you're our point person. Uh, it's a mess. You know, you need to clean it up. And then the perspective switches and you see Bugsy Siegel and the boss is asking, so what of Miss Hill? What of your girlfriend? And he ends up saying, you know, she's on her way to Paris. She was going to pick up some wine uh, that she wanted to taste different wines for the uh, hotel, which was a legitimate fact. Um, but in reality, um, so she ends up going to Paris and essentially stole a ton of money that they were skimming. And, but she wasn't sent there because of Bugsy. They were at, she was actually sent there from the bosses saying, get out of town because he ended up like they knew that he was mismanaging funds and then he ends up getting killed while she's out of town or out of the country. And then at that point, I just kind of give a little blurb that saying, you know, rumors swirled that by 1947, Bugsy Siegel 
had skimmed two million of the flamingos building costs of six million and gave it to his cash carrying girlfriend Virginia Hill to hide in a Swiss bank account. Chicago ordered Hill to leave Las Vegas and to tell Siegel she was going to buy wines for the casino. Um, that's that's so cool. Like I, I find that just your ability to distill that story down into something that's manageable for the reader, as well as like giving you like a complete story in itself, just absolutely fascinating. Because like I I've done shorts before, and shorts are just incredibly difficult for me. I'm I'm a pretty long-winded storyteller myself it's one of i guess a flaw that i have and just seeing your work has just really inspired me to try to like hone my craft as a storyteller which i think you do really really beautifully now do you um come up with the dialogue yourself like do you completely make that up or is that taken from uh true crime as well it depends on the story um so there are some where i'll take word for word or you know, for the most part. Um, But, you know, depending on the books and depending on, you know, the scene that it is, you know, they'll say, you know, this guy, you know, was, you know, this guy had several, um, like there's a story in, I need to remember if it's in this one or, um, or if it's in the next one that I'm doing, um, where basically a guy, comes in looking for um, his bar stool. And uh, this is a story that's told, uh, passed down between a um, someone who witnessed the event and was told, passed, the story was passed down to his kids. And then the book was written by the kid who, you know, his parents were in the life kind of thing. And for this story, there's this, guy named Albert Anastasia who was known as the Lord High Executioner because yeah so he was he ran this group called Murder Inc that um, was a group of uh, Jewish for the most part hitmen in the 1940s and 1950s Um, and he was very good at killing people and they had a variety of methods they did everything from. <laughs> I, I was just gonna say, like you don't, you know, <laughs> you don't name your group Murder Inc. If you're just not good at murdering people, right? <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> unless, unless, of course, your jaw rule. But, anyways, yeah, go on. I didn't mean that. I, I just thought that was hilarious. Like, like what? What? Like, can you imagine these guys just sitting around and being like, "So, what do we call ourselves?" I don't know. Like the Kill Bunch. Like, nah, that's too. <laughs> like, well, we're we're we're, we're businessmen. Like, what do we call ourselves? Murdering. Sorry, you like, know. that's just hilarious to the, me. The icing on the cake is they operated out of a candy shop in oh my, New no, York City. Didn't. No, they didn't. For real? Yeah. So there was, uh, in the 1940s, there was a uh, candy store that was open all night. It was called uh, Midnight Roses. And Rose was the old lady who ran the candy shop. And they had, you know, you could go in there at all hours. It was open 24 hours a day. You could get your, like, you know, your old-fashioned candy. You could get, you know, your taffies. You could get gumballs all that kind of stuff. You could get milkshakes and dessert. And then in the back, there was a bank of payphones, And so these guys would just sit around in this cafe 
kind of candy store. And then when certain phones would ring, different people would get up and that's how they'd get jobs. And people would know which payphone to call in the candy store. That is incredible. That is amazing that that was real life. First off, Midnight Roses is an awesome name for a candy shop. Like that's a, that is a great, great name. I act, I'm stealing that. I don't know what for, but I'm stealing that for something. Cause that's a great name. Midnight Roses. Yeah. The, the, absolutely fascinating stuff, man. Like really like when you like, I could just imagine like you, you probably just have this like huge smorgasbord of like just different stories. Like you probably have more stories to tell than you're able to like you probably have like how many volumes do you have planned are you going back to your original world the fiction world are you staying with the true crime kind of what uh kind of what does the future hold for you man yeah um so right now yeah i'm on the true crime uh kick and so the plan is to do uh the third volume of based on a true story um which i'm planning on launching in either late april or early may on Kickstarter. Um, and I've started to kind of promote that a little bit. Um, I got the pre-launch page up, um, in which I'm going back and doing another 32 page, uh, you know, booklet with, a additional four page, uh, additional eight pages as a stretch goal. Um, so that in itself, um, you know, I'll have three volumes coming up on 70, I think strips, uh, between the three of them. And my goal is actually to make that into a uh, more collection. So basically do a trade paperback style with the first three volumes and then incorporate a bunch of other things like adding, you know, more of the history in certain parts and doing like full on chapter breaks with like different parody logos that I've had designed based on some of these businesses. Like I've had a, uh, I had Midnight Roses. I had a vintage logo designed based on that candy shop um, that I'm going to do like, kind of like a splash page. That's um, so cool. Now, do you you do all the, the artwork and all the stuff yourself, right? I do all the Dust Bunny stuff. Um, when it comes to some of the graphic design, I have um, I hire out a little bit, um, but it's mainly like uh, specifically logos. Um, logos are not my strong suit, and I will... You know, I'm not a graphic designer by trade or anything. Um, and so, like, the little trading cards I was showing you earlier. So, um, like, this pelican, that was so designed cool. for me. Um, and then, like, this uh, clam shop was also designed you, for me. Do you have Midnight Roses on you? I need to see that because that's the greatest name of all time. I do not. Oh! Um, <laughs> uh, so, no one could see what we're... Uh, uh, you know, obviously this yeah. is this is audio, but they were they were cool like uh, trading cards with like really unique logos of act- and those are actual places, right? Um, yeah, they actually existed. Um, so they were mobbed up businesses. Um, so like one that I showed was a clam house in New York, which was actually the scene of a very uh, famous mm-hmm. murder um, in the seventies, seventy two, I want to say. Um, by this guy named uh, Joey Gallo, who's known as Crazy Joey. It was actually uh, depicted in The Irishman that came out a couple years ago. Um, The other one was a uh, pelican um, 
that was a uh, tomato company that was actually based out of New Orleans, um, where this mob boss basically was the big uh, wholesaler in uh, fruits and vegetables. And he, at one point, um, going back to one of your earlier questions um, from volume three, uh, the tomato company was actually in, um, was one of the premier uh, contracts that was picked up by the government um, to buy wholesale because they were the lowest bidder. And the government had an, had a law that in order to buy, you know, whenever they got contracts for certain things, they had to go with the lowest bidder, no matter who, you know, supplied it. And this happened to be a mob fronted organization that they knew about. And there's this big headline that like, uh, you know, government buys produce from mobbed up, you know, businessmen. <laughs> That's uh, that's insane. That's crazy. Um, so kind of uh, adjacent topic, if you will, more real life stuff. So moving from L.A. to Chicago, did that just uh, feed the fuel for this mob stuff or like did it just was it just serendipity? Like what how, how did that help hurt hinder whatever the case may be for for all of you know the dust bunny stuff the true crime stuff it definitely helped um i mean i had always had these stories and i knew you know that i wanted to do this comic and this is uh you know my first project kind of that i was dipping my feet into but i can also see this as being a long term you know i don't expect me to retire the dust bunnies for 10, 20 years. Like I have enough stuff that I could go for a long time and there's different formats I could do. I could, you know, shift back to my own stories. I can do anthology projects. I can do, you know, a deck of cards with the characters, um, which was my latest Kickstarter. So um, cool, man. I think, I think that's awesome. I, I love the, uh, that's, I, I got another question after this, but keep going. So like what the Chicago thing. <laughs> so, yeah, so moving here actually just kind of spurred more. So, like, I had started, you know, as I said, digging into the history. And, you know, that got me thinking about the Mobimals because I could, there were these names that were popping up that were, you know, real-life mobsters with animal nicknames. All right, I can go with this. And then I, you know, based on a true story. And, you know, actually moving out here, uh, one of my biggest regrets now that I know about it but I didn't know about it back in LA is there's a mobster museum in Vegas and from LA, you know, that would have been like four hours. I could have done that on a weekend and I could have taken this tour and it was, you know, three floors, you know, there's tons of stuff I could have learned from that. Um, but, you know, out here, I actually have, you know, real houses that still stand from, some of these mobsters, you know, there's families, you know, it's been turned over, you know, three, four, six times since, you know, Capone lived there, but Capone's house is still standing in, you know, South, South Chicago. Um, and so that kind of just kind of um, gave me more fuel. And I, I've come up with more connections after living out here. Um, 
So like, as I've been researching this true crime, I've gotten to know, you know, some organized crime authors and historians. There's some podcast hosts. I thought, I thought you were going to say like organized crime affiliates, like people. Like, <laughs> Well, first rule about organized crime is that you don't talk about organized crime. <laughs> I, there is a story about that. Um, <laughs> but no, a couple, uh, couple summers ago there was a former chicago uh mobster who um went to re- went to prison was reformed and actually started his own uh tour company and where he was um and i had been following him on social media and he offered you know a couple sets of tickets away um for anyone that wanted to take his mob tour that he was starting and i you know I claimed them as quick as I could and, you know, managed to drag my wife on this tour. And she was like, wait a minute, you didn't tell me this guy was actually in the life. And I was like, he's, it's been a long time and he's been to prison. He's been reformed. Like you can tell all over, you know, he's trying to do something new. So. Uh, That's awesome. That's cool. Yeah. So. Yeah, I mean, I think for the most part, it's just kind of it's given me more, uh, more things to research, more things to write about, more ways I can spin it off into other products and avenues. So that's my next question. You have like the trading cards. You have all these, um, the the man, the mobable. Uh, I, I probably butchered that name, so I apologize. Like, I don't want to say where do they come from, but like. I love your 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 ability to take something that you have and find new streams or new ways to package it and and put the product out there. What's it like, kind of coming up with this stuff? And what's your advice to other creators? Because I I see other creators out there, um, and they have maybe a great comic or a great you know um, great idea, but they don't really know how to market it or they don't really know how to put it together into something that maybe someone might want a consumer and you're definitely able to do that really, really well. So kind of what's your advice uh, for some of those creators kind of struggling with that, who just want to do the creative part, right? Like that's what, as creators, that's what you want to do, right? That creative part, but you also have to do this other marketing and, and all this other stuff. I feel like you do a really good job at both. So kind of what's your advice uh, for those creators struggling? Yeah. I'm, I would say, you know, one of the biggest things that helped me is um, I was always looking for stuff so like I was always researching it even when I wasn't actually focused on you know creating my comic so like when I wasn't before the true story you know I was going to comic conventions and I would walk up and down Artist Alley before I was actually creating so like you know or I had been creating but I didn't have a book yet and I was going up to, you know, looking, seeing what banners, you know, caught my attention. And I would, you know, ask, you know, the artist to write a, hey, can I take a picture of this? I think it's really cool. And I would have like kind of catalog different things that I thought would make a good table down the road. I mean, one of the biggest things that really helped me out is the planning aspect. So, you know, when going to a con seeing you know what setups uh drew me in 
I always like the idea of having an experience. And so, because people are paying to come to shows, you might as well, you know, it's, if you come to my table and, you know, I'll shoot you a picture later uh, offline um, of like some of my tables, but like I give people an experience. So like one of the biggest compliments I've had from artists, like other creators, as well as fans that come up is when they see my table, it's not just, you know, here are my books all laid out and I'm, you know, sitting with my head down drawing. I actually, you know, I'm up on my feet. I, you know, even as an introverted person, I know that if I'm at a con, I'm there to make money. I'm there to try and connect with people and get my, you know, product out there. It's, you know, I know that it's not a day behind the table that I'm just going to be drawing, but I have that mindset sift. And, um, you know, I understand, like, I'm an introvert and I know it might not come across that way, you know, based on this. And I mean, it goes completely against my, you know, day job as a programmer saying that I'm extroverted a bit, but when it comes to, you know, something like this, where I can talk about my comics and my, you know, my love of history and here's the merging of the two, I get excited and I want to talk to people about it. And, um, so like when you come to my table, I've got a checkered tablecloth that makes you think of the, you know, the old pizza restaurant that's been around for 50 years with the old guys, you know, they probably were smoking in the back, you know, the dim lit lights. Cause you know, Frank Sinatra and Dean Martin playing on, you know, an outdated jukebox kind of thing. And like, that's the experience like that I want. So like I go into, like I said, I'm always researching. I found uh, an old leather briefcase and that's actually what displays my beat the family book. And so I've got it like propped up on a little mini easel and I've got this leather briefcase that's clicked open and, you know, you've got the red tablecloth. I've got old cigar boxes that actually uh, is where you'll find my stickers and different things because you think of, you know, mobsters and you think of cigars and, you know, poker and different things. And so like, um, yeah, do your research. I mean, walk shows, look at what other people are doing, just kind of keep an open mind. It doesn't always have to be, I'm going to make this investment now. Like I knew a long time ago that, you know, so I've been doing my Dust Bunny Mafia and I knew uh, mobsters and Vegas is kind of like a no brainer. So I was like, one day I'm going to incorporate the Vegas side into my comics. I don't know how. And then as of recently, you know, I just funded a Kickstarter for a deck of playing cards featuring my Dust Bunnies. And that was actually after my last Kickstarter. I had been talking with my fans. I sent out a couple surveys outside of the Kickstarter platform um, and was like, what would you guys like to see? Would you have any interest in a deck of playing cards with my characters? And that was one of the, like the most responses I'd gotten. And I was like, okay, let me try this. And I'm going to throw it up on Kickstarter, put out my costs, see if this works. 
And if the people respond and they, and it funds, I know they wanted it. If they don't, I'm out, you know, a hundred bucks from some proofs and okay, no big deal. I'll move on to another product. Yeah. I think that's awesome, man. I love the fact that you, that's something I never thought of. Um, I haven't been like too big myself into cons. I've only done two myself. I've been a fan. I've gone to a lot of cons as a fan, but really only two as a creator and uh, having an experience, right? You, you know, when you said that, like a light bulb went on in my head because I know like the three or four like places where you stop, like, oh man, this is different. Like, like when you, when you see, like, I don't know, it's just an experience, like you said. And so that made me kind of just reconsider my approach whenever, um, you know, cons come back, hopefully they come back sooner rather than later, kind of what I want to do. Cause that was one of my goals kind of before pre pandemic is to be a little bit more active in the con scene. And so, uh, I'm glad I talked to you when there's this downtime now that we we have because I'm definitely going to up my uh, my presentation because I think that's really cool and I'd love hopefully one day you know we're at a con together and I could go come to your booth man and and see it uh, yeah so uh, where where can people find you on social media um, where can people connect with you and all that fun stuff yeah so uh, Dust Bunny Mafias um, I mean popping into Google that's probably the easiest way i mean i'm on facebook twitter instagram um kickstarter uh dustbymafia.com um is the main you know website where you can read you know probably like 90 percent of my work is free and i publish it there first and then i kind of disperse it uh to the social medias and then you know when you buy you know a book from me or something you're probably going to get 90% of what's already out there, but then I add a bunch of back matter and different things that you won't find just out on the regular, uh, you know, open to the, everyone. Um, yeah. That's, that's awesome. And, um, is there a email list? Anyone, uh, do you just go to the website for that? Yeah. So on the website, um, Make sure I have it right. Um, I think it's called Join the Mafia. Yeah, there's a above the second panel of whatever comic you land on. There's a um, a chance to join the Mafia, um, which is the link to uh, join my email newsletter. Um, and if you do, I'll send you a um, a free PDF of Baseline True Story Volume One. Uh, get your foot in the door that way. Um, and yeah, all you have to do is provide an email address and your name and you can join the list. And within a couple emails, I send out a uh, mobster name generator uh, so that you can plug your information in and get assigned a nickname based on uh, real life mobsters and the position and everything. That's awesome, man. That's so cool. I'm doing it. I'm joining the mafia. As soon as it's over, it's the first thing I'm doing. So everyone listening, stop what you're doing unless you're driving. Then don't don't stop that. But pull over the side of the road and then join the mafia. I think it's awesome. Before we go, I have to ask this because I'm a Chicago guy myself. Okay. Couple couple Chicago questions now that you're a Chicagoan, okay? I gotta pick your brain. A Chicago guy's <laughs> if you could tell, right? I got a bear's hat, I got a cub shirt on, I got cub stuff behind me. Um, I was gonna say I remember that. Uh, uh, were, were you in Chicago at this time? Just 
yeah, just barely. We uh, we had just moved, and then that summer, they had they won. And oh, yeah. you came at like the the best. Yeah, time. exactly. <laughs> yeah, for sure. So, who has worse traffic, L.A. or Chicago? Oh, okay. Uh, L.A. has worse traffic. Chicago has worse drivers. Ooh, there that's are things, that's interesting. There wow. are things I've seen that people in LA would never do. Like they drive fast and there's, you know, a ton of people. So things are always, you know, twice as long as you would expect. Chicago, you can kind of tell what things are going to be, you know, where and what things are going to be backed up. But I've never seen people roll up to a stoplight in the middle of downtown, see an opening and just drive straight through. And it's like... (laughs) Yeah, as someone who lives in Chicago, it's like, oh, yeah, no, that makes sense. Yeah, I get everything you're saying here for sure. Uh, have you, are you now, next Chicago question, are you a, uh, like a New York style pizza guy? Or are you a Chicago, have you been converted to the Chicago deep dish yet? Oh, Chicago deep dish. I can't do it, you know, all the time, but I definitely, I mean, even when, like, I save that for, you know, when family and friends are mm. coming for the most part. Um, But I definitely like a thick crust, even if it's not actual deep dish. For sure. So what's your, what's your go-to pizza then? I got to ask. I got to ask. It's like a Chicago thing. Uh, Chain wise or toppings wise? Both. Okay. Uh, So right now we've been on a Rosati's kick. Okay. Yeah. um, Yeah. And both their deep dish and their uh, double stuff is really good. Um, and then it's meat lovers is mm. my preference. Uh, pepperoni and sausage. If I'm getting it with, if I'm sharing with the wife, um, other than that, probably lose would be my second. Oh, Illuminati. That's, that's my go-to, uh, um, deep dish, deep dish. Like Chicago, Chicago style. Yeah. You just can't go wrong with yeah. Illuminati. There's, there's like no, no second, I think for, for me personally, um, yeah, Rosati's is is good. I like their uh, their thinner crust stuff better, but uh, it's definitely mm-hmm. a staple as well. Um, I probably had some more, but uh, I am like I'm I'm blanking. I, I always I always love talking to like Chicagoans because we you know us Chicagoans got to stay together. Um, so I've so got yeah. one for you. Okay, for, yeah, for Chicago, uh, best beef. Well, uh, I'm a if we're going chain, uh, I'm a Bona beef guy. I really like Bona beef. Um, I, I, you know what, this is going to be sacrilegious and everyone in Chicago, true Chicagoans are going to hate me. Uh, I'm not a big Portillo's fan. I think they're overrated. Um, like I'm not a hot dog guy. So like, like when the hot dog question comes in, like, I don't really like hot dogs. So like that's null and void for me. Uh, they have a good beef, but the best beef I've ever had, it's actually ruined beefs for me. There's this little Italian deli uh, on North Avenue, uh, and uh, it's like North Avenue and maybe Mo- it's like east of Milwaukee. I don't know the exact cross street anymore, um, but it's in like uh, the Wicker Park Bucktown area called Lucia's. It's an actual old school Italian restaurant, and then off to the side, there's this uh, really small deli. And they have the absolute best. It's the best beef 
with sweet peppers mm-hmm. I've ever had in my entire life. So anyone uh, in Chicago, Lucia's, it's on North Avenue and it's east of Milwaukee. I know that. Um, I don't know exactly know where. I don't remember the cross streets anymore when I used to live down there. Um, but Lucia's best beef I've ever had. Still to this day, I have I have I have dreams of, of going back downtown and getting a Lucia's beef. If it's still there, I have no idea. It's been I don't know five six years since I've lived in the city. I'm gonna have to research that. Uh, yeah, my personal favorite right now is Johnny's. Oh, jo- I forgot about Johnny's. Oh, ma- yeah, no, maybe that's in uh, Elmwood Park. There's one in Elmwood Park, and there's one in Arlington Heights. I see. I lied. Maybe it is Johnny's. I was. I didn't even think of Johnny's. See, Lucia's has me so so discombobulated. I don't. Need, Johnny's might be. Yeah, is definitely better than Bona Beef for sure. Uh, have you been to Alpines in Elmwood Park? I have not. Uh, I have to write that down because yeah, yeah Alpines is like a little sub place. Um, uh, real small. Um, but that that's another great little uh, sandwich spot. Yeah. My, my wife works in Elmwood park. So, um, she, you know, I have now become accustomed to the, the nice little restaurants around there. So here's one thing. Have have you noticed this about Chicagoans that, uh, when we eat food, if it's really good, we start talking about other food. (laughs) Like Mm -hmm. it's like a strictly Chicagoan thing, right? Like, like, you you'll know immediately if your food is horrible if everyone is not talking about other food. <laughs> I haven't really thought about that, but that does make sense. Thinking back, yeah. Next time you're out, right, and you're with like some sh- Chicagoan people, and I don't know, maybe maybe you've caught on to it, but if you're they're eating something really good, they'll start talk like you'll like start eating like a, a beef or something, and they'll start talking about hot dogs or hamburgers somewhere, and they're like, oh, you got to go to this place. If it's bad, everyone's like, hmm, this like <laughs> they're not talking about anything else. <laughs> it's just it's just a, a funny Chicago thing that I, I've noticed that every time I bring it up, people are like, yeah, we do do that. yeah we we do do that. Uh, oh. And I don't know if like other people do that, but being from Chicago, I noticed that a lot. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, it's uh, I, I really appreciate you coming on, man. I thoroughly enjoyed this conversation. It was super informative and uh, I had a blast and everyone, uh, you know, before we get out of here, make sure you, you join uh, the Dust Bunny Mafia. Uh, it's a book I cannot um, recommend highly enough. Uh, Brett, thank you again, man, so much for joining me today. I had a blast. Yeah, of course. Thanks for having me. Oh, you're very, very welcome. <laughs>